0: Oh, I splashed.
1: That was a I full got... <laughs> pop. That was a very dense, dense sound. Yeah. What kind, it, of, uh, what kind of beer was that?
0: Uh, it is a West Sixth Amber Ale. So, tasty mm. little concoction, but it did spill on my Invader Pad. That's all right. Sorry. Anyway. <laughs> anyway.
1: Uh... <laughs> hey, at least what? it's not on my laptop like it's happened before. Exactly. Exactly. Well, we're back, Mike. I know. We're actually finally kind of back on to an every two week kind of cadence for this thing. We've been pretty inconsistent recently, but I think uh, things have calmed down. I'm done with school. Um, Hopefully get this thing back on a a more regular schedule. Today's guest is one Evan and I know very, very well. We both marched with him for more than one season apiece. Uh, We'll introduce him in a second, but before we do, uh, welcome everyone to the Aged Out Podcast. As always, I'm one of your hosts, Mike Fantini, and with me is... Evan Morrill. And... Make sure to hit that subscribe button on the YouTube channel. Follow us on Spotify, uh, Facebook, Instagram. Everything is just aged Out Podcast, as I'm sure most of you probably know by now, if you're a consistent listener. And in case you didn't listen to the complete previous episode to this, we are looking for a graphic designer to hook us up, which we are willing to pay for, with a new logo. Well, got uh, the a, issue we got a couple re-
0: options, though,
1: right? Well, the more options, the better. All right. Uh, I figure I'll throw it out there. Um, Just an update on iTunes. We need a new logo before we can apply to get on the iTunes podcast library. Uh, The current logo we have is not a high enough resolution. So if you know someone that can help us out or you can, just reach out to us. Um, Evan, you want to take it from here and we'll get going?
0: Absolutely. So yeah, as Mike already stated, we have a good friend of ours joining us today um, via Skype video or audio call which is the easiest way for us all to get together because most of our friends in the drumming community uh live elsewhere along the country but we have travis peterman joining us tonight what's up travis hey guys thanks for having me well, Any time, man Any time. it's been long overdue to to get you on here i know our schedules are kind of hectic trying to coordinate especially during the the week time is it cold up there in the northeast yeah it's uh
2: It snowed yesterday. We keep having this thing where it's calling for, you know, six to eight inches of snow and it snows for a little bit and then rains and it's gone and it's 60 degrees the next day. So
0: I don't know what's going on. Sounds like Kentucky. Yeah, it's great for the sinuses and the allergies. It was 60 or 70 last week and then today it was like a high of 29. It's
1: ridiculous. Over the (laughs) weekend, I think the high was like 21 or 19 one day.
0: I was telling my
1: wife earlier, I'm just tired of walking outside
0: and experiencing that immediate like brisk cold wind chill hits you and your body just kind of like tenses up and you get like rigid and you're just like oh this is miserable i would much rather just walk outside in some shorts and a t-shirt uh, make it much easier when i'm going anywhere especially to the gym but i just got back from the gym i walked out i was like sweating and it's super cold and the cold air hits your sweat and you're like yeah i'm definitely gonna get sick now <laughs> cold sweats the worst Cold sweat is never a good time. You uh so before we started recording, Travis said you're doing the insanity. How far into it are you? I am like three days
2: from being halfway through. So they do they give you one month of like the introductory workouts and then you do a recovery week and then there's another month of uh, I guess what is harder,
0: more intense workouts. So I'm almost halfway there with that. Pushing to the end, man. Yeah. You did a feat this summer that i will probably never do in my life um mostly because i can't see myself wanting to do it at this point but you ran all summer uh this past year in 2018 and ended up capping off the summer with how far i lost about 40 pounds last summer oh, how, your, how far how, did you run well
2: uh, yeah. six miles six miles every day No, uh, that was like the last run, like finals day during lunch, I did six miles and we, me and Dan were doing it for, uh, for most of it. And he, he capped off at like five, like he kind of, he kind of fizzled out over the last week. Um, and I kept going and, and got up to a six mile run
0: at the end, which is way farther than I'd ever run before that for sure. Yeah, I, I've only ever topped out at like a 5K, and I felt like I was going to die at the end of that. Uh, obviously, you worked up to it, but do you think you'll probably do that again this summer? Or yeah, try to?
2: that is the plan. Yeah, I'm trying to. I'm I'm scheduled to finish this uh, the insanity thing um, right around Dayton for finals, and then you know I'm going to hit the gym for like the three weeks in between that and spring training, and then it's it's time to run again for sure.
0: I feel like that's the ultimate way to. That you can hold your kids accountable for uh, their like pre-spring training workouts. Everybody tells their kids like, "Oh, you guys got to work out, start running or start lifting, doing core strength." I'm doing it too, so you guys better show up in better shape because you're the ones that have to run around.
2: <laughs> yeah, no, it's great. It's a, at Crown especially. We have like like the whole battery staff. Pretty much everybody is in really good physical shape. You know, we didn't do that on purpose, obviously, but it is. You're right. I mean, it's it's easier to hold them accountable when. We're doing it as
0: well, for sure. Resume for Teaching Crown. Must work out.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Must run seven-minute mile. Can do 10 pull-ups in a row and 30 (laughs) push-ups. Jeez, that'd be wonderful.
0: (laughs) But anyway, uh, we'll kind of get into some content here. Um, I think Travis has a pretty unique background coming from the northeast, east coast. (laughs) Uh, So he can kind of give us a synopsis through that i guess just kind of how you got started um maybe some people that inspired you along the way how you kind of got from one thing into the other and then we'll we'll take it from there sure okay i'll give like the uh
2: you know the semi-quick version um you know I, i feel like i started like anybody else would you know i was uh you know playing in elementary school and and just kind of doing the concert band thing and orchestra and whatever and Got into marching band after, like, to be completely honest, I saw the movie Drumline when I was in eighth grade, and that came out, like, at exactly the perfect time to... Love it. Yeah, to, like, to make the decision to, like, all right, I'm going to join my high school's drumline next year, and, like, it's going to be exactly like this movie, which, of course, it wasn't. But, you know, started doing the high school thing, and in tenth grade, um, we actually had this, this kid, Jermaine, transfer from another school, and he introduced a bunch of us to... Uh, drill team up here in in like the Philly, New Jersey, Delaware area and uh, pretty much my whole school's drumline got involved in that uh, with a group called Imperial Dynasty which has now evolved all the way from a drill team which started in 2003 to what is now an independent open WGI group uh, that I'm still involved with so I think that's a really cool story in its own that um, Devin Fletcher is a director he's been with them the whole time and uh, he's just kind of evolved it into that but um, when I was there, I was marching, um, and it was a drill team, and just kind of watching YouTube videos or whatever people watched videos on the internet with in, like, 2005. I don't remember if it even was YouTube. Um, but just seeing drum corps videos, and I got cut from the Reading Buccaneers in 2008, and then I, I kind of got my first start marching on that level with uh, with United Percussion in 2009. Um, went from there, got a call from Josh Bricky, who... Of course, we all know um, to do the Rhythm X thing in 2011. Um, it's surprising. I don't know how it is still now. You know, I, I haven't been around there in a while, but I remember being shocked at, at like the the low quantity of people who would audition um, at Rhythm X. And and uh, I said quantity, right? Not quality. Low quantity.
0: Yeah, you said quantity. Okay, you, you said quantity. Yes. <laughs>
2: yeah, low quantity. I mean, so they're they were at the point where they're you know they're calling people like that. You know, I Mike, I think actually you might have been somebody that recommended uh for him to call me actually. So thank no, you. For- I, I, if I remember right, I think I was. I think yeah. he called you and I think I called you too. Yeah. Yep. Pretty sure you and uh you and T gas who I had both marched with before. So yeah, again, thank you for that. That was that was obviously an awesome experience that I still draw from um in what I do today, especially indoors. Um and then the teaching thing, you know, I aged out in Rhythm X twenty twelve. Um, I was I was one of those people that was kind of devastated to be done, and I always wanted to keep marching. And, like, I, I wasn't studying music in school, but I knew I always kind of wanted to be involved with it. Um, and I was moving back from Ohio to Delaware after that season, and I had just happened to um, – I had sent a couple emails out, put some feelers out for, uh, like, the DCA circuit out here, and I got really lucky in that the original Center tech of the Cadets 2 had taken a like a real life job in California and was moving, so I got kind of I, I got to go right into that when I moved back in June and I did most of the summer with them and that has kind of led to really everything else. Um, honestly, the the C two thing um, is definitely how uh, I don't know if we want to make this a separate conversation. How CWP started? I know that was one of your prompts, but maybe this is a good time. Yeah,
0: yeah. Stop monologuing about. That. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, it's good. It's good. Um, we'll get into this too, but I'll uh, we'll we'll backtrack and kind of define like the the transition from drill team for Imperial Dynasty on that and stuff too, and just like what exactly that was versus what it is now. Um, just to kind of hit on the the rhythmics thing, I was always a little bit surprised about that too. You were talking about like the quantity, and I think that a lot of that has to do with like the recruiting aspect of indoor. I think a, a lot of groups, especially independent world groups do a lot of recruiting over the summer and the fall, calling people to get people to come out. And I'm not sure that people maybe get turned away from auditioning, but a lot of times, and I would never discourage anyone from auditioning anywhere that they want to go, like, go check it out. It will only help you in the future, especially if you have multiple years to left to audition. I'll just throw it out there. But they do have a lot of like recruiting within the members themselves. Um, that's how I got asked to go to rhythm X the first year. Somebody asked me who was a current member, Hey, you should come check this out and come do it. And I was like, okay, I didn't even really know what I was getting into. And that's kind of how we did it afterwards. We called up people like you and Dan and whoever else that happened. so I think that the quantity is a- actually a lot lower than people would imagine especially if somebody has gone to a drum corps camp and compared to the numbers that come out to some of those so oh
1: it 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 definitely surprised me when i got to the audition in 2011 because i just went to moorhead with him and he knew i'd marched for the blue stars the summer before and he was like man just just come up come up and hang out even if you don't make it it'll be fun and i had no intention of making it i i wasn't going to march indoor ever again after my 2010 season at tate's creek and it just wasn't really my thing, so I went, no pressure on myself, and got there, and we started playing, and I was like, there's not really that many drum court guys here right now. This is weird, and then one thing led to another, and that was it.
0: Yes, sir. Yeah. So, and you talked about, um, I guess this will be a good segue from uh, your marching member experience, which I can't say that I was not... I I didn't have the same, I guess, reaction to being done as you. I was like, all right, I'm done. I'm good. I'm ready to go. Uh, But you got into the teaching realm, and you said that it kind of happened a perfect storm of situations. The guy who was at C2 went away, and then you got in there. Who else was there at C2 at the time when you got in? What year was that, and who else were you kind of like teaching with?
2: Sure. So this was uh, the summer of 2012. This was the first year that that core had ever existed so rich hammond was the director who is also like he's still a huge mentor of mine we we text about the sixers all the time we're always talking basketball and he's The the process guy judge judge yeah exactly ttp baby um but no he was the director dave dumont was the percussion caption head and i was teaching there with um andrew rubano amanda zay uh joe bergen was the bass tech that first year um andrew montero was a pit technician who I still work with very closely at, um, at DMU and Bush right now. So, um, I'm pretty much all those people I'm, I'm still in contact with, which is awesome. So it was a
0: very like formative experience for me in a lot of ways. Awesome. Awesome. And then you stayed at C2 how many years?
2: Three years. I did 12, 13 and 14 there. Um, and in 2013 is the year that Tom Monks designed the book for them, um, 12 and 14 the the sandwich years of that it was colin um and the year tom unks was there he you know i i had met him at the blue stars obviously with you mike and so i kind of had a somewhat of a history with him and at least enough to to kind of start a dialogue and i was kind of I, you know i was pretty aggressive about letting him know that i was looking to to teach dci if he ever got back into it because at that point he was not at the blue stars anymore and he was kind of just a free agent um, obviously, after doing almost three or thirty years with with the cadets, so um, when he went back to Crown in 2015, he called me to to do the snare tech thing, and that is when I made the jump from DCA to DCI.
1: Was that was that the only summer he was at Crown?
2: No, he was at Crown 15 and 16, two years. I
1: completely forgot that he was there at all until yeah. you just said that. I had completely forgotten.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Fifth. What show was fifteen? That was the. Uh, was that the Inferno show? Inferno. Yeah. Yeah. Right on. Right. On. Yeah. There's. A, it was funny because you could always tell, the. I guess influences in the writing between like, Tom Hanum and Tom Ox. Like, oh, this is a Tom. This is a Tom Ox section. <laughs> yeah, we would joke about that too. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> but that's awesome. Obviously, you said you and Mike were exposed and met Tom Ox uh, from Blue Stars. Was he? I guess uh, you, I know I've heard you and Tom always say how or you and Mike say how Tom Monks was always just like out there in the trenches at blue stars with you guys, just grinding it like with yeah. everybody else. Was he as hands on at C2 or a little bit more in and out C2? He, um, he only came
2: in at the end. I feel like, what was that? It was 2013. I feel like he was doing some time with the cadets. Like he, he definitely wasn't full time with us, but he was there like the last three weekends and, and he was great, yeah. Like I mean, he was out there teaching, and the kids were were very positively impacted by by his presence for sure.
1: Yeah, I mean, I've t- I've told Evan that the blocks we always knew we were going to get our butts whooped is if Tom came out to battery sectionals and his shirt came off. Shirt off,
2: yeah, no He
1: took his shirt off. The text <laughs> just threw a tennis ball back and forth, and we were just like, "All right, here we go." Reset out of set. Yes, and- sir. Again. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. And so then when he
0: made the jump to crown did he reach out to you to come fill that spot is that what you said
2: yeah yeah he called me um september 2nd 2014 i will never forget that voicemail ever
0: <laughs> you missed the call oh
2: no. yeah yeah i missed the call and, and he the voicemail was like you know he didn't outright say it but he was you know he was talking about an opportunity in dci and i was i had already heard at that point that he was going to crown so you know, I'm, I'm jumping up and down, obviously, because <laughs> to be honest, like Crown was always my favorite drum corps. I was literally too scared to go there for my age out because I thought I was I, I was running the risk of of not marching DCI um, by trying to go right from Bucks to Crown. So I didn't. I went to Blue Stars and obviously I'm very grateful for that choice because I wouldn't have met Tom, you know, so it's kind of funny how things worked out because here I am working at the corps that I was afraid to audition for.
1: Like and then, the of course, <laughs> <laughs> and of course you, but on the flip side, you wouldn't have had to deal with my green, butt the entire summer. Yeah. Oh man.
0: It's all good. Was that 2010 though? You would have yeah. had to deal with me. Eh. I would have been your center. Yeah.
2: yeah. Well, who knows? Who knows how that would have worked out? I I literally might not have made it. I have no idea.
0: <laughs> eh, you probably would have made it.
1: <laughs> yeah. Travis, I don't know if I've ever apologized. I'm sorry about that summer.
2: Dude, you don't have to apologize. <laughs> you, were, uh, you were fine. We were all, we were all kids, man. Like I, Dude, was, fi-
1: I you figured it out. I've I've told Evan so many times that all nine of us were bad at playing snare drum when we came to spring training. (laughs) Like in retrospect,
0: apologize if you did end up marching inside him though. that almost happened.
1: Do you remember Pete Sappinen and Joel kept arguing about that? (laughs) I do. I do remember that. That was whenever whenever Pete because Pete Sappinen was around for the camp season. Whenever he was in front of us before the snare line was like officially set he would switch Travis and I and put me inside of him. And then when Joel would come around, he'd flip us back every single time. I mean, it was the right call. I was very inexperienced. Travis was much farther along in his drumming career. Was I think Pete happened stuff. and just liked that I could grid a lot of stuff.
2: I was literally about to say, like, I didn't know how to grid anything. I couldn't play any sprees. I was just like, oh, I can, you know, I can play in the sound and like my chops are good enough. But, I see what Pete saw for sure. Like I, you know, you had,
0: you had that, that setup and like, uh, again, more vocabulary. Correct. (laughs) That's (laughs) funny. Uh, all right. Kind of, we're jumping around, which I love to do. I love those segue and those like pathway moments, but you're at crown. You get the call, you calling Tom back, like trying to keep your cool. Like, Hey Tom, what's up? I got your voicemail. How's it going, man? Um, (laughs) so he brings you in. Uh, decides you're going to be the snare tech at crown for 2015 which looking back now for me as an alumni i can clearly see an evolution of the percussion section as a whole starting its uptick not that it was ever bad but if i'm just going to be honest it's it wasn't
1: there were some down to, Yeah,
0: Yeah, it was it was kind of like sitting. It was kind of like plateauing. It wasn't going anywhere. It was being stagnant. I'll yeah. say that. That's the I've, best way I say that. I've always thought that it was, you know, they kind of got un,
2: viewed unfairly because, you know, the brass is winning and the core is pushing at winning. The guard was amazing, you know, and it's like, okay, well, because we don't have a top two, top three drum line, like, oh, they must suck, you know what I mean? And I feel like they got a really bad rap for that when in reality, I mean, I agree with you. I think there were still some, some great – percussion sections going on there. You know, they're just competing in a in a world where there was just a bunch of other stuff. You know, I, I, I still think it's like that. I think there's a lot more good percussion sections that are, like, really competing to be top three, top five than there are uh, top three, top five horn lines, top three, top five color guards, you know, and that's obviously no offense to to those sections. I just think that, that our activity has kind of evolved in that way where where it's more competitive at that top level
1: i'd agree with that statement i think that's For pretty sure. accurate and
0: those years kind of in there 13 14 12 13 14 there was some like changeover staff members techs there, there's a lot of things happening yeah. um but so now you're a crown 15 snare tech 16 17 18 you've been there the last four years uh Uh, 15, 16, 17, yeah, four years. How did your evolution there kind of evolve or your roles and titles or positions, whatever, kind of change hands? Sure. So, yeah, like you said, I was brought in as a
2: snare tech, and, and back then it was a really, it was a tight team. It was only four of us that were there pretty much the whole summer. It was me, it was Sean Mack teaching the bases, it was Paul Winterhalter teaching the quads, and Zach Schlicker was like the, you know, kind of battery coordinator, like choreographer, like more big picture, doing perk-ons when, um, you know, Tom Unks or Tom Hannum wasn't there. So, I mean, it was really, it was really small. So, you know, yeah, there were opportunities to where there were, there were blocks where I was, where I was running the drum line or whatever. It it was fluid, you know what I mean? Like, it's not like, you know, in in something like that, you don't get as wrapped up in, in like the titles or whatever. But uh, we did that for 15, Um, 16 was pretty much the same deal. Um, if I remember correctly, I, th- I think we just traded, you know, Paul uh, and did the, he took the Yamaha gig, you know So he stopped teaching drum corps after 15 and Andrew Rubano came in and was the quad tech and o- other than that I'm pretty sure it was just the same team um, And then obviously 16 to 17 is is where the bigger change was when uh, Tom Unks went back to cadets and then that left obviously the crown thing open And I'll always be grateful to, you know, to Jim Coates and and the kind of the upper level design manager guys there that, um, you know, their crown is really about um, promoting from within. Like they always look to do that first before, um, you know, doing like a big search or like going and grabbing like the next big name that's that's available. You know what I mean? They they kind of looked from within and and I was able to kind of slide into the the caption head role for 17 and, you know, now to where it's still. Um, so things definitely got more interesting. Then I started working a lot more closely with, uh, Tom Hannum, who has grown to be like a, honestly, like a second father to me. Like he's, he's such a huge influence in my life, not only in the activity, but just with, with how you operate. Like he always says, the way you do anything is the way you do everything. So, um, That's i I'm good. very grateful for, for that connection for sure. That's awesome.
1: It's, and, it's really cool that you say crown does it like that when they need to find a new caption head or whatever position they're filling. Cause that's the only way you keep the, keep, get new blood in the activity. Like, and at yeah. some point there's only a finite number of people with caption head experience that can run a program. And the only way it grows is if you give people a shot, people that have that have a promising um, background and experience and knowledge they bring to the table. It's, 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 it's how you prevent things from happening. Like obviously I think it's Phantom and the scouts basically just traded staff going into this coming summer and we'll see if that works out. That's a topic for a different day, but I think it's great to give new people, younger people their shot. And so far I think you've done a great job with it.
2: I appreciate that.
1: Yeah. I was going to use the analogy.
0: It's just like in sports, like somebody's like oh we're searching for a new head coach well do you just try to like pay the guy the currently retired guy to come insert or like the phil jackson or something and hope that that works out because they have just this great resume or do you bring in somebody that you think will do a great job that maybe doesn't have the resume but they have the right drive mindset knowledge and see where it goes to possibly set yourself up for the next twenty years versus like you know, like you're renting like a Phil Jackson type person. I think kinda like the Celtics, not to get all sports on everybody, but did that when they hired Brad Stevens. Like, well, we could probably get somebody else, some legendary coach, but we're gonna see this young blood, as Mike said, in, in the game here. Yeah. Yep.
2: No, and it takes it takes foresight and it takes some, you know, some some balls to do that, honestly. Um I'm not I'm not really even talking about my Thing specifically but just in general to do what you guys are talking about I think that uh, it really takes like a vision and confidence in the part of whoever is making that decision to kind of at least strongly believe that that is going to be the best situation for your group because it's it's not always going out and getting that big name because that big name while they've obviously done things to become the big name they aren't always the best fit for your specific situation you know
0: absolutely um, before we get too much, I guess, into like present day, current day, we'll do a little bit of a, a backtrack. So you've been at Crown, and then during your time at Crown, you also get involved with CWP, Rip, because uh, that's Winter Percussion, right? So what year did that all kind of start up? So CWP, it was there was actually a little bit of crossover
2: with C two, which is, I mean, definitely how I ended up in the position I did. So. They, man, now that you ask, I'm, I'm really not sure. I don't remember, like, the first conversations about this starting, but I do remember that the first, you know, they were they tried to get Tom Monks to do it. They tried to get Colin to do it. Um, and then Johnny Trujillo, who is the guy at Bucks right now, he was actually um, the original, like, you know, program guy, battery designer at CWP, and that ended up falling through because of some endorsement stuff. Um You know, and the farther I get into this, the the more I realize that, like, these groups are really heavily tied in with their sponsors, and they don't want to make hires like that to, to, like, prolific positions that are going to be kind of crossing that bridge, if that makes sense. So I believe he was a, um, an IP artist, and, you know, YEA is, is very Vic Firth, and they, they have a very deep relationship with them. So Johnny was only there for, I want to say, like, three or four weeks, and we actually... Um, I was hired originally to just be, like, the battery coordinator or whatever. I was just going to teach drumline. drum line. I wasn't supposed to write. I wasn't supposed to do any of the stuff I ended up doing. Um, and we actually had, a, like, the first design meeting ever for CWP was me, Rich, and Johnny, and that was it. I forget. I, I don't know, like, again, what, you know, what happened with George and him and how that went down, but, you know, it just kind of fell to me, you know. Like, I that definitely wasn't the plan. It, it There was definitely... The sense from the beginning that it was kind of created to be like a feeder, obviously, as it should be. Like c 2s feeding the cadets, and now they want an indoor line that's also going to feed the cadets. And it just kind of blew up into something that was successful on its own, kind of un- unexpectedly,
0: I would say. Yeah, started out in Open. What year was that, 2016? 14. 14? Oh, wow, I was way off. Samsonite. Um, <laughs> Swami Sam. Samsonite. Uh, so fourteen started out open class. You guys won first year out. That's yeah, the fir- is that the first book you've written for like a com- like on that scale? I guess of well, organization.
2: Absolutely. absolutely. Um, so the year before that, actually, so Imperial Dynasty to circle back now had come back out. Um, Twenty thirteen was the first year they uh, participated in WGI and it was an a class. And I did, um, yeah, I did the program. I again, I wasn't hired to do this. I was supposed to just help teach the snares and the way things fell, like I ended up doing a lot more. I ended up kind of rewriting the book and um, Andrew Montero came in and like rewrote the pit book. And we ended up going out to Dayton and making finals in a class, which is, I personally think that's really hard to do. You know, there were 30 groups and we were in the top uh, 15 or 12. We ended up in ninth. I forget how many they take to finals at, at that point. But um, yeah, that was, that was tough. So I had, I kind of had that, initial experience of like what it's like to create an independent indoor show uh, but yeah cwp was the first open class show for sure and uh it was um it was interesting because we didn't have any competition at all that season until prelims day in dayton so we had literally no idea what was about to happen like we didn't know if we were good we didn't know if we were about to get stomped it was a total question
0: <laughs> yeah that seems like such a handicap. For the East Coast groups that compete in WGI, because the Midwest is fairly saturated with a handful of very (laughs) high-caliber groups, and then obviously the West Coast is very saturated. In the East Coast, it's like, well, we're just gonna kind of sit over here and do our thing, and then uh, wait till we all get to Dayton and see how the chips fall. Yeah, we're over here in our on our tiny gyms working (laughs) it out. Yeah, the the gyms are tiny everywhere. But well, unless you're maybe in like Texas and California, you play outside. Yeah, well, I mean, I forget who
2: said this. At some point, we were on tour. I think it was Ron Harden, actually, who was the the Vish caption caption headed crown. Um, my first four years there, and he was just talking about how um, like the East Coast schools are literally smaller because they're older. Like they were built years before, like all this the the new ones in like you know Texas and Cali and even Ohio with some of the new new schools and and whatnot. They're they're literally smaller. It's it's funny.
0: It's a good point. <laughs>
1: And that's Makes one of the sense. things that shocked me being on tour when, when you get to Texas. And the schools aren't small in Louisville or Kentucky, but nothing like the schools are in Texas like the facilities, yeah. the size, all of it. Yep. Yep. It's crazy, man.
0: Um, CWP, first year out, open class, gold medalist. Yeah. Next year, made the jump, right? Yeah. Yep. Yep. Made the jump it to was... world. So that was 2015. What show was that? <laughs> That was deconstructed. That's probably... All right, pause. I was recently talking to Dan Shack. Uh, It was a completely different topic, but I was talking about CWP, and I was like, we're just talking about creativity and innovation in the activity, and as far as that goes, and it's really hard to do for anyone to just design something that you feel like you've never seen or is an original idea or super creative, and that show is one that does stick out to me where I was like, man, that is really cool. I don't think I've ever seen anyone do that to that extent, I guess, as far as the show design and the deconstructed and the drums and the skeletons and all that stuff as far as the hardware. So yeah. I really like that show. But Thank continue. You. Thank you. That was the, I mean, yeah, that was
2: that was crazy too. It was another one of those instances where we really didn't know how we were gonna do. Um, and there were a ton of growing pains administratively from, you know, going from an open class group we really going from nothing to an open class group to a world class group where, you know, just the, it, it increases the amount of pressure and kind of stress that everyone is going through to kind of make it happen on just a different level. Um, but it was a it was a really unique kind of cast of designers that year. Like Mark Sylvester um, was hugely influential. Like it was his idea to use the fridge. And like, you know, he obviously did a, a large part of the drill that year, too. He designed the uniforms. Um, it was actually Andrew Montero's idea, of like, for the concept, rather, like, which I, I just look back and I think it's it's like a perfect concept, you know what I mean? And a better, probably, a, um, you know, no offense to the members or staff of this group, but probably a better group could have won with that concept, you know, if we had had a little more, um, you know, knowledge of the activity. You know, I was like 25, 24 years old. We were all kind of around the same age, you know. So I, I think that concept is, is just so obvious, you know what I mean? We knew what the end was going to be from the beginning. Like, oh, deconstructed. Okay, we have to take everything apart and we're going to end with everything taken apart. You know, it's like very obvious. And then you just have to go through and make like the most interesting vertical moments and events that you can, you know. So we, we happened across some pretty fortunate ideas that year, I would say. And you guys made
0: finals, correct? Yeah, we were sixth. We got sixth. Sixth place, PIW, first year yeah. in finals. First, first year. year. That's pretty remarkable. And that's pretty unique scenario, too. Obviously, you guys are cadets, winter percussion. You're talking about pressure of feeling like you also have to be respectable and compete at a high level because you're also tied to this organization with such a storied, historic rate of success in its own activity. Yeah. yep. But. It
2: was, that was definitely a unique um, kind of – detail of things like it it was it was weird for us because i mean we didn't have anybody on staff at least at the higher levels that even marched or taught cadets like it was very disconnected in that way um really until the third year the final year where um jeff sactic came on board and we started to have a better relationship with like the actual cadets percussion staff like colin and all those guys we um you know because at first and, and i totally get it like it was it was an inconvenience those first two years, like kids were missing cadets camps to go March indoor with us. And and they didn't love that. And again, you know, I get that. And it just wasn't set up to totally be cohesive, Um, you know, not for lack of effort. It just wasn't really happening. And then it finally started to, to hit a stride and everybody was like getting along and then it went away.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Went away. Well, it was just kind of, from the outside looking in, and this may all be completely wrong, but you guys had obviously been doing a great job as instructors, working with CWP, developing developing relationship with these kids, but like you said, most of you guys are not teaching at Cadets, uh, you obviously are still with your timeline at Crown, so... And the outdoor-indoor thing has a big influence. Like, oh, I know these people that teach me an indoor. I'm going to go audition for their outdoor group. So that's probably, obviously, a strain where you have cadets, winter percussion kids, like, no, I'm not marching cadets. I'm going to go march crown or something to that effect. And they're probably like,
1: "Mm, this isn't
0: doing what we designed it to
1: do.
2: Well, I mean, you kind of hit it on the head. I would say that was, you know, there's probably a list of, like, eight to ten really big reasons why CWP folded when it did. And that was that was one of the bigger ones for sure Was that, you know, we were now working at crown or at least me and and a couple other people. And there was starting to be like a pretty even split at that point between who was at crown and who was at cadets. And, you know, we didn't put any pressure on them at least, you know, I, I don't remember there being any pressure put on like the members to decide either way, they were kind of just doing what they wanted to do. And, um, you know, as a, as a program that was created as a feeder for a specific organization, I can definitely see how, that, um, you know, that rubs some people the wrong way. I get that.
1: Now, Evan touched on this, the whole, and what we were just talking about with the whole idea of, Oh, this person teaches me an indoor. So I'm going to go march for them in outdoor. Obviously you help run George Mason and you're the caption head at crown at this point. Does that marriage, I guess, feed the growth of those two groups because I'm pretty sure. Correct me if I'm wrong. You have a lot of kids that do George Mason that also incidentally march Crown. Um, yeah. So I, it's, it's got to help both groups, just the from a consistency of instruction and playing with each other year-round standpoint. Yeah,
2: I think it absolutely does, and and um, uh, we're we're aiming for it to extend even further. Like the last, you know, two and a half, three years, it's been this like kind of quadrant of like a, you know, crown George Mason and then ID on the open class level and the Bushwhackers at on the DCA level um, where we've kind of utilized the ID and Bush as like, you know, I, obviously I, I don't, I'm not trying to take away from the, the identity of these groups. They're not feeder cores by any means. There's no like specific relationship of the organizations, but percussively they certainly have been a great place for like, Oh, like the last cut of crown is going to go March Bush for a summer and come back to crown next year and make it, you know what I mean? We've had a, a ton of kids, Um, I would say more tangibly, probably 15 or 20 kids that have used um, have used it directionally like that and started, you know, because those those staffs are people that have aged out at Crown or that have aged out of CWP or um, whatever we've taught together at some point. And so it is like kind of a um, kind of a community out here like we for the first time this fall, we had a mass phone call with the staffs of all those groups to talk about um, just approach to teaching and approach to the instrument and et cetera. And I think it's, it's definitely paying dividends like you're talking about. Um, you know, so for right now, that's, that's very battery heavy, very battery focused. You know, we're, we're kind of trying to, to get the pit more involved in that as well. Um, we've had a harder time finding staff members that are, uh, like kind of able to do multiple groups and be involved in, in that kind of community. But that's, that's definitely been the, uh, the plan and we've seen we've seen uh, we've seen it pay off um, e- even at Bush too. like I mean when we went there in 2016 they had not made DCA finals the year before that um, and then this past year they got um, I believe uh, fourth in drums third in drums something like that so it's it's I think it's helping all of the groups honestly that's the goal at
1: least to have a setup like that and be able to to capitalize on it and see all the groups involved flourish is just huge.
2: Yeah. It's definitely a long-term game for sure. So we've seen some success and there's been some trials and tribulations with it and some toes stepped on and we're trying to work out the kinks so that, you know, as many people as possible can benefit from it. Cause at the end of the day, it's not about, you know, it's not about egos. It's not about anything like that. It's about like increasing the, level of education and and the level of competitiveness of this area to me um that's that's
0: really high on my priority list well and i think too it also is doing the kids a great benefit because you're giving them better tools to get the outcome that they ultimately want to like obviously like you said you're not using bushwhackers in id or gmu's like feeder programs per se but they are tools for kids to get more experience, more knowledge, more in-depth instruction that would definitely help them. I mean, anyone would be foolish to ignore that the Blue Devils have done that for years. They literally call them BDB, BDC, and the happy marriage of RCC and the connection that that has had over the years. So, I mean, it's clear that the model works.
2: Yeah, I, I think Southern California is a great example of that. Even the the schools, like on the scholastic level, and um, SCPA, the circuit out there. Like I had the, the great opportunity to go judge a show for them a couple of winters ago. And it's awesome, man. Like those guys are all, they all respect each other to the point where they, they learn from each other, you know? And I think that's definitely not something that happens a lot where I live. I think it's more of a, um, it's kind of like a cold shoulder kind of thing with, with a lot of this, this community up here. And I definitely think that we would be wise
1: to, um, kind of learn from their example, for sure. Well, to me, you might be, with your all set up on the East Coast with these groups that we've been talking about, might be the first people to have actually successfully done some kind of thing like that at, after the Blue Devils have done it in what we just talked about. And to me, it seems like it's it's a hard setup to make work Because it requires consistency of staff and techs and with the way everything is structured financially and everything, I know from other people that I know that have taught and are teaching that it's hard to get people to stick around for five years in a row just because life costs money and there's not a whole lot of it in the teaching of the activity and so I think that's a big reason why you all might be the first one that have been able to pull it off since BD. Sure.
0: Yeah, Well, it's
1: it's
0: I, I'm, I'm gonna jump in. I don't think they're the first ones since BD, but I think they're probably the more longer sustaining. I think there definitely was a happy marriage between Bluecoats and Rhythm X for a few years.
1: Oh, fair uh, enough. Fair when enough. Tim
0: Jackson was teaching both, and Tim Fairbanks was teaching both and stuff, but
1: I think those examples didn't... are smaller scale, though. <laughs> they're you know? they're
0: smaller scale. As we can say, they're they're a shorter lifespan uh, because. Tim d- doesn't teach in the summer because he does a multitude of other things and Fairbanks is writing drill for everybody a thousand groups. Well, he writes for a handful of groups, but yeah, <laughs> anyway. So, but GMU, I think has been much more of a larger sample size that has worked. So I'll just kind of caveat off of that, but
2: yeah, I mean, right now I think um, I it's most of the section leaders are the same at those two groups right now too, which is awesome. I mean, this, the, the students that have really bought in and thrived here are, are just like 11 out of 10, honestly.
1: That's what you want. Yeah, yep, that's the goal.
0: Yeah. So currently, I guess present day, your title at GMU is your title at Crown, is your title at Imperial Dynasty, and then are you writing for anybody at DCA? Just like, what do you, what, do you, what all you got going on?
2: Um, yeah, so I'm actually the director at GMU, so I have to deal with a lot of the the admin stuff, which is tough because I don't live down there. I live like two hours away, um, in Delaware. So um, it's a lot of like email, and we do like Friday phone calls with the um, with the office down there. Like the uh, so GMU is actually a technically an athletic band, I believe they would consider it. Um, so they have like the pep band, and then they they have a color guard and a couple of other ensembles, and it just um, has worked out because the the director of athletics bands down there. Uh, his name's Doc Nix. He's like a—he's a pretty big local celebrity there. Actually, he has um, uh, there's like the the restaurant across the street has a menu item named after him, and he's like a really—he's like a big personality when he runs the pep band, and it's definitely garnered them a pretty big following, uh, both in like the pep band world and just locally in general. Um, and that's kind of where we've been able to have offshoots such as the color guard, such as the drum line, and we exist kind of in that um in that medium with them where we are are run literally through the university as like a like a um oh man, I don't know what you would call it. Um, extracurricular activity. Yeah, exactly. Extracurricular activity. And you don't have to be a student there, although that is their goal to like ultimately um try to recruit as many people as possible to be students and go to George Mason, which I think is is awesome, you know, higher education and et cetera. Um so that's what I do there. Um at Imperial Dynasty right now, I'm just writing the battery book and writing the drill, and I'm also on the advisory board there. Um, so I talk with the director about any tough decisions he's looking to make or advice or or whatever. Um, I, unfortunately, I'm not able to get in there that much because I do have to be a GMU. At the bushwhackers, I write the battery book. I'm just on the design team there and I consult with uh, with the caption head, who is uh, who is the guy? Uh, March CWP, March George Mason. The first year we were there, so kind of came up through our program and and has like you know obviously demonstrated the ability and the desire to um, kind of manage on that level. So they're they're really taking off there. Uh, but I, I don't do much more than consult and and just write for them. And uh, I took on the the Raiders arranging gig this year. So DCA or sorry DCI open class as well. Nice. Uh, haven't haven't gotten too deep in with them yet um, so I'm just kind of feeling it out but definitely excited about what's going on there um, yeah that's that's pretty much it right now I mean that's my life it's a lot of a lot of emails a lot of organization Google sheets slack Dropbox um, keeping things in order and making phone calls and yeah it's nice I get to make my own hours you know I wake up at like noon <laughs> out and then I I'll usually work pretty consistently from like 4 p.m to you know, I don't know. Sometimes one, two in the morning, I'm I'm messing around with stuff. So it's cool. I, I dig it. You're doing band, man.
1: Yeah, yep. band, to band, full time band.
2: I know, man. That was uh, that was definitely not always a plan. I, I was to- getting
1: ready to ask you: Is this where you wanted to end up? Like, since you were marching, did you always feel like I want to be a top dog somewhere? I want to run. I want to run a successful program, or did it kind of just the pieces just slowly kind of fell into place?
2: Yeah, I mean, I. Probably be lying if I didn't like want those things, but I would definitely be lying if I said I knew how to make it happen or that I had a plan to have a career in this. Like I went to school for almost 11 years. I was like in and out, and I took my time with some things, and um, I ended up with an associate's, a bachelor's, and a master's degree. And I'm not directly using any of them. Um, the last being the master's in school counseling, which I was definitely planning to do until I got about halfway through the program, and I realize i had kind of started making enough money doing all the band stuff and that if i were to actually take a job as a school counselor i would have to significantly step back from all this stuff i just wouldn't have time to do it Uh Uh, and i was just like you know i'm I'm gonna finish like this is my backup plan if anything ever goes wrong because i honestly that's that weighs on my mind all the time is that these are not long-term commitments like you don't sign contracts here um, you know, beyond like the one year. And even those, sometimes you don't get, their, you
0: I know, <laughs> so mean, you don't get the Bryce Harper, like 13 geez. year, whatever million dollar deal. It's <laughs>
1: absurd. Not at the, all. Isn't the last thing I heard that like major league baseball's popularity is going down and like TV viewership is in the tank.
0: Oh yeah. Compared Where are to they up. getting
1: this money? Yeah.
0: <laughs> Dude, that blows my mind. These baseball contracts, but anyway,
1: <laughs> that's a whole <laughs> you're,
0: different story. Know, that's just ironic. Cause you're a big Phillies fan. <laughs> aren't you a Phillies fan I am not a Phillies fan actually all right I, I put should... that in your mouth then
2: no you're good I mean Sixers and Eagles um that's my that's my Philly sports right there I'm diehard for those guys
1: well as an Eagles fan how did they go from Super Bowl champion to not good not Injuries, good bro. The okay they were okay they weren't they weren't there was a drop-off <laughs> that's all I'm oh, saying of
2: course. I think there's there's a almost drop off man I mean it's it, unless you're Belichick and the Patriots, you're it's really hard to repeat. You know, guys get big contracts because they they obviously had good years in a Super Bowl run and they sign elsewhere or people just kind of lose track of the of the goal. Like, you know, we dealt with a lot of injuries. So it's I think it's hard to repeat. That's why you
0: rarely see it. Yeah. NFL's tough. Yeah. All major sports are tough. And, but oh, yeah. anyway. To kind of uh I guess reiterate what Mike was saying, and we touched on this a little bit before we hit the uh, the record button. But I've always just kind of viewed your well-deserved rising through the ranks as you being a student of the game, like just a product of paying attention, being smart, staying focused, being determined, stepping out, taking chances, voicing your desires and strengths as like kind of how you got from maybe member of group here to caption head designer arranger this and that you said earlier like you probably couldn't tell the recipe to someone for how do you do these things but um i would say that none of the three of us were ever i guess i don't use the word celebrities but you know like super well known i was not the i was not the drew guy of drumming i wasn't the whoever center snare of whatever place dan shack all these yeah all these guys like i mean i was never i and e solo champion chops mcgee like that was just not the player (laughs) i was I, i was i was never that and i was perfectly fine with that but i think that obviously you are A beautiful representation of well that's not what it's about really (laughs) Um, that's great and all but really you just gotta like be in the right place at the right time and have done the proper preparation to put yourself in the position to take that take those positions
2: yeah i i agree and i i agree with you too that i i couldn't tell you the recipe other than you know, just do really well at the tasks you're given. And I know that's cliche, and that's obviously not like a band-specific um, saying, but if you do well at what you're given, then people have the chance to be impressed by that and kind of promote you when those opportunities come up. And you're absolutely right about right place, right time. I would say, especially with like getting into C2, like I said, when when the guy was leaving, and then the CWP thing that just kind of got bounced down until somebody accepted the job that, you know, at that point I had no affiliation. So I, I wasn't with, um, I wasn't with a different stick and mallet company because I wasn't with any stick and mallet company. So I was like pretty low risk, you know? And then from there you just, yeah, I, I mean, speak up and don't speak up too much. I think that's also how some people dig graves for themselves. It's, it's a game. I don't know if you guys watch Game of Thrones, but I, I think oh, yeah. they're pretty hilarious parallels between, and less fun. <laughs> parallels between like how you how you make waves and in, in this kind of political spectrum versus how uh how those characters do
1: for sure who do you think is yeah, going to be like alive at it's the better end than... of the season
0: oh my gosh we can get off this for three, hours I, but i'm all right i don't know man i just i literally no left. one i finished <laughs> through uh I, my second time watching it all i, I love that show it's um, so
1: good my
0: sister's been watching it right now and she's like texting me about episodes. I'm like, You have to watch the next one. There's like <laughs> I'm like the next episode's like one of the biggest plot reveals in the whole show. And yeah. she's like, Oh my gosh, and it's already like two in the morning. She's like, All right, I'm starting it. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Uh,
1: I think it's gonna go down as one of the greatest shows of all time, like ever created. That, I I agree.
2: I mean I think it is, although the last season they can certainly mess it up like Oh this.
1: yeah. How many um, times have we seen that Lost Dexter? Yeah, all those shows. I haven't seen. I haven't seen either of those shows. So, I'm all right. <laughs> <laughs> but at, what was it? we
0: saw uh, an announcement on Twitter earlier? Mike and I are in this group chat, but we're getting completely derailed. But that's all right. Who cares? It was like uh, the, the Battle of like Winterfell episode is supposedly in episode three of this last season. It's supposed to be the longest shot like battle scene in cinematography history or something like that.
1: Oh boy. The one the longest before it was the Helm's Deep Siege in the second Lord of the Rings movie. And apparently this one's longer than that.
0: Dude, it's gonna be nuts. I'm ready. (laughs) Super ready. I'm gonna be watching this at spring training. My body is ready. Captain Marvel comes out in like three days, and then we have Game of Thrones season premiere and Avengers endgame. I'm just like yeah. Cancel cancel me for the next, like, two months.
1: This show so. is so ridiculous that I have to have a couple of wisdom teeth taken out at some point this year, and I'm purposefully <laughs> making it after the season ends. Wow. So if I die when I'm put under, oh I'll go gosh. out knowing how it ends. <laughs> oh, my that
0: gosh. That thought we'll, literally we'll crossed right my mind. But did finish Game of Thrones.
1: Yes, 100%. Wow. Oh my gosh! <laughs> I have to know. Well, I have to know.
0: Man, well, I don't know where we go from there.
1: <laughs> yeah, we've been going for like fifty-six minutes. We could just wrap it up if you want. Uh, we could. I mean, I'm sure that we could talk about other
0: stuff. for yeah, I mean, hours and hours. DCI yeah. judging and this and that and this and that and this and that. But maybe for another time. We have sure. part two. We've had Dan Shack on a few times. So
1: he's been on three times.
2: Yeah. That's great. Yeah, that first time it was we were trying to do both of us at the same time. Yeah. And it didn't work out. That'd be great.
1: Yeah, I'm down. Perks all right, so you Box guys ready to? Go?
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh man, there was that stair line in 2012 was such a weird. We had guys in that line from like all different spectrums of personality and interests. It was eclectic. And, yeah, it was a very very. Yeah, eclectic is the perfect word.
2: Yeah, it's kind of interesting because I I feel like often you either look back at lines like that and you realize it then or, like, there's a lot of hype for a line before it happens and then it's kind of whatever. But I think that snare line is one of those things that was, like, a big deal in the moment. Like, there were those... I remember that uh, stupid SpongeBob meme of, like, like, oh, we're just going to take all the DCI center snares and put them here or whatever it said. And, like, people were talking about it then and then, like, now still people... Will like like make side comments to me about that snare line and that show and and whatever. So I, I yep. think that's like a a pretty cool thing that we. I were think all...
0: that's a testament for what we were able to accomplish. And I mean, especially given the circumstances, it, like of that any other season. group did. So with the rehearsal yeah, but...
1: space we had to use and the just the things we had to the hurdles we had to overcome. Absolutely. The well, world, there's a way. funny
0: video. Uh, it's well, it's a very heartfelt video that mark mccabe i think was his name created yeah. and put on youtube kind of like following us around all season and joe talking about like let's think about all the things we did first of all we took ten. Second of all we rehearsed the buddies this is like yeah. going through this list of stuff but i mean those are the bonds though that i mean anybody who marches any group on any level create i guess in this activity the brotherhoods And i mean you guys and we're very fortunate that what we're doing now with this podcast parallels with the great friends that we have like people who are in positions in this activity now are also just coincidentally like really good friends that we
1: made drumming. I mean that was one of the motivations to start this like I was at the gym one day and I've been listening to a lot of Joe Rogan's podcast and I was like how often do kids and younger performers want to hear about people's opinions and experiences and stories they have from when they marched and just their opinions on the activity. And I was like, we could do that because between Evan and I, we have connections all over the activity from when we marched and taught and all that stuff. And it'll be an excuse to get back in touch with really good friends that we had from when we were younger. So it was almost like a no brainer for us.
2: Sure. Well, I'm glad you guys are doing it. I, I definitely appreciate appreciate you having me on. I'm always down to
1: talk shop for sure, man. Definitely. Absolutely. All right. Well, I think that's a pretty good point to close this out on. So thanks everybody for sticking around this long for us on this, with us on this episode. Uh, again, click that subscribe button on YouTube, follow us on Spotify, Instagram, Facebook. Once again, um, the iTunes thing is still in the works and hopefully we'll just see everybody in two weeks. Peace.